I want to take you on a little tour around my neighborhood. Come outside. Don't worry, it's warm, because we are rewinding to summer 2022, when my little cousin William was in town, and I dragged him through Old Strathcona to review the parks in our neighborhood. William was reasonably impressed by the online videos that go along with Tubby Bateman Park. It was Stuart Steinhauer who came from nearby Saddle Lake and created this statue. So yeah, it is a bison with a hole in it surrounded by a circle of rocks. Yeah, I think that, well, it does look pretty cool, honestly. Uh... He was most down with Mill Creek Ravine because it was so big and naturey. So far, I feel like this is the only more nature-type sort of park we're visiting. Huh? Yeah, everything else was just a small playground, I'd say. <laughs> this would be a pretty nice place to bike down if it wasn't raining. And decidedly not impressed with Nutter's Corner, which, to be fair, is not technically a park. But it's on 99th Street, it's got a bench and a name, and I wanted him to compare and contrast. Okay, do you want to read what's on the plaque on the rock here? All right. Nutter's Corner, Carolyn and Richard Butch Nutter, thank you for your tireless dedication to the Strathcona community and for protecting the Mill Creek Ravine as one of our last urban wild spaces. Dedicated May 9th, 2015. A few shrubs, uh, a tree, and a rock with that plaque on it. Wood benches, nice, but like, it doesn't feel like a park. It's, it's just too small. That's, that's really the only thing holding it back. William was not impressed by the littlest space in our neighborhood, let me put it that way. But our guest this episode is very interested in them. Let's find out, a podcast about Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Wiskaigon on Treaty 6 territory and Métis Region 4. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, then we find out the answers together. Let's find out as a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this month I'm joined by... Me, Trevor Chow Fraser. It's nice to be here, continuing our journey into the history of Edmonton's parks and natural areas. We kicked off the season with a live show, which you can listen to again in episode 57. We had some amazing speakers inspire the audience to ask some great questions, which has filled out the story garden that is guiding the rest of the season. This month's question comes to us from a super fan and super friend, Shelley jodouin Chouinard. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I've been like a let's find out keener ever since its inception. I think I've been to all of your live events except for the one in Calgary. Um, <laughs> uh, I had something else that day, you know. <laughs> but uh, we met up at Shelley's apartment to hear how she enjoyed the live show, and to let her ask her question in person. I'm, I'm not sure I was even the the original person who asked this question. Truth be told, but I was a contributor. So um, my question was, what is Edmonton's smallest park? And it's a little bit of a um, take on the Parks and Rec episode in which uh, Leslie Nope builds Pawnee's smallest park. Recently, the last remaining telephone booths in Pawnee were torn down. And on that patch of concrete, I am creating Pawnee's newest tourist attraction, the smallest park in Indiana. And it's um, kind of hilarious. I think it's only big enough for a park bench. Mm -hmm. um, and... I don't know, the curb access to the park bench. <laughs> so um, I am genuinely curious, though, <laughs> now that we've come this far, um, if we have something uh, similarly goofy um, or if maybe our smallest park is something cute and nice. So even though it started as a goof, I was really excited about this question. I guess I just love a good trivia. Like, this is going to kill at my next cocktail party. And it's a good excuse to get out and explore the city on foot. I had some ideas about how we might go about answering Shelley's question. But first, we were wondering what Shelley is hoping to discover. So, um, do you have any uh, inklings about 
where the smallest park might be? Yeah, I suspect we'll find sort of a, mm, I don't know. I don't want to say pocket park because I know that's like a temporary thing that the city does. But I suspect we'll find like a pocket sized park in like an older neighborhood in some sort of quiet corner of the city. Um, like I'm thinking about um, even just up the street here, there's a tiny little park um, right across the train tracks from um, the, I think it's the Strathcona Community Garden. Yeah. And, I, you know, that's probably not the smallest one, but I just thinking that's that might be the smallest one I know of. That is one of my favorite little parks. I think in part because it um, it's bordered on a couple of sides by an alley and um, it sort of backs up against people's back fences. So it looks sometimes a little bit overgrown um, and there's some like old mature trees in there. And I think the only time that people really that most people would spend in it is just passing through on the multi-use path, right? So, I mean, I really like that one because it just feels like a tiny oasis. I think that's the um, L Hill bar- L Hill Park, or EL. <laughs> yeah, I think there were like concerts there the last couple of summers too. Like people have been doing little concerts in that space. Really, but. Uh, yeah, it is interesting because it has some benches, but then there's also a heavily wooded area. But you know that there are houses just like they can't be more than 20 meters away. Um, one time I was walking through that path with my child and uh, a man jumped out at us and almost killed me. <laughs> oh, my God, what? oh, he didn't want to. Kill, he didn't kill me, but he wanted to fight. and We had to kind of avoid it. Jeez. <laughs> Marcel called him the forest demon because he just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> Jeez. Which makes me want the park to be even smaller. <laughs> so that to I, hide. Exactly. <laughs> Fewer places to hide. Um, That's a really different take on, on uh, one of my favorite neighborhood parks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes parks so cool. There's so many sides to them. We can get into so much. Um I mean, one of the things about your question is uh, I want to hear more. Like, what do you think is a viable park? In my opinion, a a viable park, you know, it has to meet one of the kind of park-related outcomes. So it needs to be a place where people can recreate um, a place that has some sort of ecological sensitivity that is being protected in some way, um, or a combination of the two, (laughs) you know, I'm thinking of a place where people could be active or a place where people could be quiet in nature also. And I'm just going to jump in here. I think it's so cool that Shelley mentions park-related outcomes. Like, she has an official UN definition of park at hand. She didn't. But it just shows how Shelley was already thinking carefully about how to define a park. And that's kind of where we all headed with the rest of the conversation. How are we defining smallest park in the city for the purposes of this investigation? Does the strip of grass between the sidewalk and the street in front of my house count as a park? No. Why not? I think it has like an infrastructure purpose primarily, although lots of parks do. Hmm. That's hard to say. I mean, I I hesitate to say that something has to be named to be a consideration because Lots of places have names that um, have been forgotten since Edmonton started being called Edmonton and um, all that sort of history um, has unraveled since then. So, um, so I, I don't know, let's, let's say it's 
some place that has um has a distinct boundary it's not um strictly a thoroughfare it's a place that people could conceivably spend some time um and might want to spend some time i know that is pretty subjective but um yeah so something like a bench is a good sign but not necessarily a requirement i like sitting in the grass too not not a thoroughfare so like the strip of grass beside a road does not count to you i not strictly a thoroughfare so i'm thinking you know the strip of grass like it's garnish on a on a sidewalk (laughs) right (laughs) i think so and still edible it has to be edible otherwise it's not a real garnish (laughs) but sidewalks aren't edible and that's the main dish so (laughs) i'm not sure about this criteria (laughs) does it have to have a chair no and i think it should be a place where where any anyone um might feel comfortable spending time right so i think the strip of grass between the sidewalk and the road in front of your house um a lot of people kind of perceive that as an extension of your own lawn even though i don't think it is um so it's not really a spot that's that just anyone would feel comfortable wandering up and hanging out yeah or lurking in. <laughs> yeah. people, but but a park is a public place so people can lurk if they want, I guess. I'm not going to be the one to say you can't lurk in a park. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is kind of what def- makes it different from your backyard or someone's private property where uh, you can't go lurk in someone's backyard. And if I lurked even on your your little strip of grass outside your house, you'd probably get freaked out. Mm. But if I did the same thing in a park, I think people would just give me like some distance. Mm. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they probably wouldn't call like an authority on me eventually. There's a line between lurking and lingering. Exactly, you linger in a public space. You lurk in a private place. (laughs) (laughs) So parks have to be public, I think. Yeah, definitely. Lurking versus lingering is my preferred definition that we came down to. (laughs) Uh, We haven't gotten far enough yet, but for me, uh, it's the garbage bin. um, A garbage bin or a bench. Well, we'll get there. It's funny how far we got into defining park in order to find out what's the smallest one. Yeah, but testing the limits of a concept can clarify it. You're right. And another thing that helps is finding examples. So let's start the search. When I first read Shelley's question after the live show, I was thinking, surely the city must know the square footage of all of its parks. And in fact, surely it must know how many parks it has. There must be a database and maybe it's even searchable by the public? So uh, looking around online, I did find something useful on edmonton.ca. It's a, there's a list of all officially named parks sorted by neighborhood and each with an address. There are almost 400 named parks listed and that's out of nearly 900 park areas. So uh, one of the interesting things about this list is that it does, to your point, Chris, uh, say that we have um, 875 park areas, but only half of them are named, well, officially named. So when you go to this list, you can search the named parks. But yeah, so you can see every named park by neighborhood. There's, uh, there's almost 400 neighborhoods in the city. Uh, most of them only have one or two parks, but Strathcona has a lot, as you can see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, what we could do is take this list. They all have addresses. We could Google map them one at a time. There's only 400. I think we could do that in a couple days, <laughs> uh, and then we'd have your answer. <laughs> 
but you could. <laughs> I, I really hope you have a more fun way to do this. <laughs> we do. On that same webpage, you can access the edmonton.ca neighborhood interactive map. It shows a map of the city, and you can turn off various features on and off, stuff like swimming pools, fire stations, transit routes, and schools. And of course, every official park in the city. Shelly was much more impressed with this tool. I did spend some time on this uh, last night looking around the city. I can tell you seem so <laughs> adept with it, and it looks so clunky. It is. Whoa. <laughs> um, you're going to have to scrub that. Uh, <laughs> so if you... <laughs> One of the things I noticed is if you if you scroll around, you can see some green spaces that look quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are, so they have these names like Strathcona Park number three <laughs> is this tiny piece of grass on uh, 80, 85th Avenue. Uh, but really it's just like, that's where the trolley car goes, and it cuts diagonally through the neighborhood. So you're left with these kind of weird triangles. And so there's a lot of parks like that, where it's just like a little weird triangle that was left behind. Hmm. And they've named it such and such park number five, such this and such park number four. <laughs> that one, <laughs> yeah, like maybe that's an adjunct to Strathcona Park Two. <laughs> Um, Chris, you're actually kind of close, not just to your strip of grass outside your house, (laughs) but, oh my gosh, you're close to Walter Polly Park on 89th Avenue? Yeah. Uh, Is that like a happening spot? It's the kind of place where if you had to take the dog for a quick walk and it's cold outside, you might take them through that park. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I went in there one time. Um, during the first lockdown, I was on this uh, mission um, because I, as I was doing my daily walks that everybody was doing, um, I discovered that uh, there were a lot of like dead plants that were still like standing. It was just like this, the, the kind of dried out skeletons of flowers and things like that and you know it gets pretty monotonous day after day so um I really started looking closely at them and um and some of them are really cool looking so I ended up sort of changing up my route as often as I could um to see what dead plants there were around and I walked through there and they had some particularly nice ones So it's like a park slash washroom slash plant mortuary. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds sounds like a great little park. (laughs) A lot of value for the neighborhood. Yeah. So so if you scroll around, I thought maybe if we scrolled around downtown, you can see there's some bigger parks, but there's also some tiny little green spaces and like... This is, I think, more what we were thinking about based on uh, your Parks and Rec reference. (laughs) Uh, Like little tiny spaces like Beatrice Carmichael Park between two buildings. They put up some nice benches and like it's landscaped. Yeah, I've definitely eaten lunch there. I feel like I'm starting to feel like you should probably either have a garbage bin or a bench to be a park. So it's, it's uh, tied to some degree of infrastructure. Because, like, yeah, I don't know. It could just be, like, an, any old accidental space. But, like, a garbage bin implies, like, we intend to support people taking their dogs on stupid little locks here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, I can get on board with that. Yeah, or even, like, eating. There it is. Garbage bins. That's what makes the park. An essential part of keeping the grass clean and green and the squirrels happy. You don't want to spend time in a park with grouchy squirrels, believe me. Driver's lived in Ontario. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, you also don't want to spend time in a park with grouchy coyotes. You know, they can get mange from eating like rotten fruit and stuff pouring out of garbage cans. If there isn't good enough cans. 
That's shocking, and I didn't know that. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> this map is great for finding little parks downtown, and they seem like fully functional parks. There are also, though, lots of little triangles and squares that just seem to be cast off plots of grass. And we kind of all agreed that those wouldn't really fit the bill for Edmonton's smallest park. And so here we have Albert Avenue Park number three. So there's a sidewalk that cuts between these two streets where there's no road. And there's one of these like traffic barriers that prevents cars from driving into the park. <laughs> But the park is really just a larger slice of grass beside a sidewalk with a barrier to prevent cars from going there, which I guess is kind of key. You shouldn't have cars in a park. Whoa. Because then you get a car park. Interesting. I mean, I, I can see that it's probably public land, but it, it looks like just an extension of this house's kind of backyard. So, uh, I, I agree, probably not our pick for the smallest park. Yeah. I think it's so small and close to that backyard that if you hanged out there long enough, you would count as a, as a lurker. Definitely. Not a Definitely lurker. Definitely a lurker. Yeah. All right, so, so there's this map resource that the city offers, which I think could be a way for us to find the smallest park. But another thing we can do is talk to the city parks department <laughs> and just <laughs> find out if they know. Um, right. And so uh, on Friday, we're going to meet with someone from the city parks department. Cool. So we can ask them directly. We can grill them on this question. Terrific. Yeah. We can drop a lot of Leslie Nope references that I'm sure they've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure this guy sounds delightful. His name is Trent Portugal. Uh, <laughs> Trent is an author as well as a city planner. Cool. He's written such books as The Amoeba Ox Continuum, which sounds like a kind of uh, socialist-themed sci-fi murder mystery. Um, and he's, he's written a couple other books. And he uh, has written about pocket parks on Spacing Magazine. So I'm, I think he'll have some thoughts about <laughs> the value of small parks um, and what makes them special. So we're off to the city parks department, but first, this episode of Let's Find Out is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic to say the least, Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. And even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. This episode of Let's Find Out is also brought to you by Connect First Credit Union. Welcome to Super Typical Megabank. How can we disappoint you today? Hi, I'd like to open an account. May I pressure you into considering a pro-disadvantage, high-regret, impersonal, everyday inconvenient savings plan with added compounded confusion at no additional discount or apology? It's one of our top disappointers. I feel so... Disappointed? Yeah. Another unsatisfied customer. Next! If your bank makes you feel like this, it's time you talk to us. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. So later that week, we got together with Shelley again so that we could meet up with Trent Portugal, the planner from the City Parks Department at the Edmonton Tower, downtown by City Hall. Are you Trent? Yes. Hi, Trent. Hi, I'm Trevor. Hi, I'm Shelley. Chris, I've got all the equipment in my hands. But nice to meet you. Likewise. I'm excited. So I guess the uh, the communications person uh, left it open whether we wanted to stay in the tower and have a quiet place to sit down or whether we actually want to go and visit the site and that sort of thing. So I'm assuming from you guys that uh, you prefer the quiet spot in the building. 
I prefer to go to the site. Oh, do you, do we have the site? We know the site? You know yeah. the site? Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Is it I nearby? Think... Yeah. Well, okay, well, let's go there. Yeah, I'm just going to put on my coat then. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really just a question of... I don't think that audio captured how surprised I was. <laughs> I just never thought that our interviewee would have taken our silly question so seriously as to have looked it up beforehand and then even been ready to take us to the site. It was, it was amazing. Trent walked us over. It was uh, about a five-minute walk. And along the way, he talked about just how easy it was to figure out the answer and what he had to rule out along the way. We are... Uh... Uh, roughly heading to uh, Weston Hotel uh, so that everybody has a basic sense. Exciting. Okay. And uh, it, it's slightly, well, I mean, I'll just go into it right now a little bit. It's uh, slightly uh, complicated, actually, uh, as a question because uh, we do have land in our inventory, two pieces of land in our inventory that are actually smaller than this. But they're effectively uh, Rhode Islands, uh, one in uh, Parkdale, uh, just a little triangle uh, at Fort Road, and the other uh, at the curve of the River Valley in uh, Beverly Heights. And they're not, although they're in our inventory, uh, they're not developed really as parks. They're sort of there, but they're not more than that. Uh, but you can go to the other side of things because we have a sort of differentiation between uh, uh, parks and parkland uh, or open space. And so if you're talking about the smallest sort of official interesting open space, that would give you a different answer as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, that would be in Strathcona, uh, Nutter's Corner on 99th. Oh my god, I've been to Nutter's Corner! I recorded there. I've disappointed my cousin by taking him there. <laughs> so we're downtown, sort of between go going south from Churchill Square and City Hall towards the, the River and Hotel McDonald direction and uh, towards the Weston Hotel. We can see the site, the park, now. It is officially the uh, uh, the post office clock tower park. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so this, like, parking turnaround? Uh, in front of the parking turnaround, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the corner, Okay. that is our smallest park that is officially named and purposefully a park. This is strikingly similar to Pawnee's smallest park. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> it's the same size. It's just I big enough it's for a, a bench. a bit bigger. <laughs> Shelly, can you describe what we're looking at? Yeah, so this is a little, I guess, triangle of land. Um, that has a clock tower on it. It's about four stories or five stories high, the clock tower. And, um, and then um, at the base of it, in between kind of the four pillars that hold it up, there seems to be a smaller clock inside a, you know, in, inside a glass um, enclosure. So I'm excited to take a closer look at that. Oh, and there's a, there's a bell on it. And so, I mean, historically, uh, this is what is left of the uh, post office building that, you know, as, as a historian, used to be on the site. Lots of listeners won't have seen it, though, because it was, it was demolished quite a while ago. Yep. And so, yeah, when it was demolished, the, uh, uh, the clock tower was saved and uh, put in this little park on the corner. Uh, 185 meters squared in total. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, do you do you have off the top? It's okay if you don't. Do you have off the top of your head like the the story to how this became saved? I do not. Okay. Yeah. 
it's uh, it is undoubtedly uh, part of the uh, the negotiations that generally happen to uh, encourage uh, development while uh, keeping a certain level of heritage, which the city sometimes tries to do. Uh, and in this case, it was uh, fortuitous uh, because most uh, parks are typically. Uh, uh, usually acquired uh, through dedication of uh, reserve. So when a developer uh, wants to subdivide land, then they uh, owe 10% uh, for parks and school purposes, plus land for utilities and roads and the whole bit to serve the development. And uh, uh, most uh, like modern reserve uh, uh, came into place in the mid 60s. And so uh, most of the parks that you see in the inner city were pre modern reserve. And so could not be dedicated and everything was subdivided out. So it wasn't possible. But this was actually relotted uh, in about 1973. And so this little corner is 10% of the parcel that was relotted uh, when this was redeveloped at that time. So that's cool. <laughs> uh, we've got a we've got a plaque. Uh, uh, Shelley, do you want to read this out for us? I would love to. This clock tower, officially dedicated July 18th, 1978, houses the original clockworks from the Edmonton Post Office, which stood on this site from 1910 to 1972. The relocation of the clock was made possible through the generous donations of Hugh E. Pearson, Constance Pearson, Edmonton Plaza Hotel, and the City of Edmonton. So that's it. Post Office Clock Tower Park. 185 square meters which for anyone who has seen the Parks and Rec episode that Shelley referenced, Pawnee, Indiana's smallest park is point point zero 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 three square miles. Our smallest park is point zero 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 seven square miles. That's a whopping 23 times larger. <laughs> <clears throat> so... <laughs> So quite dissimilar <laughs> in size, but in spirit, very similar to the Parks and Rec example. And similar in that neither are very park-like, still very much streetscape. Mm -hmm. I, I would never have guessed that this was like considered parkland. There is not a square of green on this triangle. Also, no bench. No bench, no yeah. But the whole point of this exercise, as we've discussed, is kind of to find the limits of our definitions. And after Shelley, you and I tried to hash out our own definition for parkland, I, well, I turned to the historical record. I, I, uh, so it just so happens that I had checked out a book from the library called Mini Parks for Edmonton, a study from the 70s that defines a mini park this way. Small, less than one acre. Cultured, like it has a tree or shrubs or some other stuff that's aesthetically pleasing. Recreational has room for either active recreation or something passive, like there's a nice place to sit. And finally, accessible. So it's easy to get to for pedestrians and there's a sidewalk either moving through it or beside it so that you can enjoy it as part of a trip. On those counts, the post office clock tower park does not get top marks. But uh, Trent told us we were missing something, a key criterion that the city <laughs> uses for designating parks. Uh, absolutely, we, we actually have three uh, big functionality categories and you hit on two of them uh, which are ecological and wellness or the recreation side the third is celebration uh, and part of that would be celebrating history or festival space or other other uh, things like that celebration did did that surprise you caught me off guard I did not expect that yeah um, I mean I kind of get it that, that you know lots of parks um, had sort of a celebratory name or vibe to them, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Celebration also feels a little charged these days for things that we name name after humans. You know, it's so twentieth century. <laughs> How about you? <clears throat> well, I hadn't considered it at all. But you know, in retrospect, it's kind of silly when you think about it. So many parks are named after 
historical figures, uh, the famous five parks in Edmonton. Mm. My favorite parks in Montreal are Parc Jean Mans and Parc La Fontaine. So, you know, named after historical figures and whatever you think of those people, the parks are clearly meant to be celebrating them as a part of our history. Also, parks are gathering places for celebration in my own life. It's where we celebrated Elliot's birthday this fall. It's the only reason I go to Horlock Park, stuff like the Heritage Festival and Silver Skate Festival. Hmm. So it does make sense. Hmm. Well, uh, even though we were a little bit caught off guard by that part of the criterion for designating a park, we were worried about one thing. The smallest park really was the result of the churn of redevelopment in the urban core. High five us. And it got me thinking about the challenge of creating these kinds of mini parks. How easy is it to wrest these spaces away from developers? How often does the opportunity arise? Just how does a mini park happen? Well, one one little uh, and and we're when we talk about uh, small parks uh, and sort of accidental parks and that there there's parks that we plan and then there's parks that uh, we sort of uh, go in afterwards and and make uh, them permanent and make them so and uh, in central McDougal, uh, just south of the armory. Uh, right by the Metroline LRT, uh, there is a little community garden. And uh, it's on land that uh, was brought into city inventory uh, through the LRT project, and uh, a portion of it, the tracks go through, and as they turn to go past the the armory. And... uh, and, uh, uh, the, the rest of the land, I, I think that it was a walk-up apartment before, but it was demolished for the, uh, for the project. Uh, the uh, community group, the residents, uh, uh, approached uh, the LRT folks and said, well, can, can we do something else with this, this land? And, uh, the, uh, and the LRT folks said, sure, why not? And, and so there's this, the, the, the city, uh, another group chipped in some money, uh, and uh, the, uh, there's fundraising on, on the community side, and they, uh, they made a lovely little garden, uh, which uh, a couple years later, uh, we saw from, from a park's perspective, it was, it was still uh, residential land zoned for, for um, uh, low-rise apartments. And uh, we were able to have the land switched over uh, to uh, parks inventory, uh, and uh, it's and made uh, effectively the, uh, the the park permanent, and uh, uh, rezoned it and consolidated it and deal, dealt with everything sort of behind the scenes to to make that to make that work, and that is in a way. Uh, in a way, accidental land, land that uh, was not meant for that. It was just sort of a, a side effect of the LRT going through. Uh, that uh, the, the community saw something in and the, and the city was able to support them. Is that, I'm just thinking, like, is, is, is that part of the trend of how itty bitty parks are created as like accidental spaces? Was there somebody demanding to be able to build the world's smallest apartment building, like a walk up <laughs> on that spot? Uh, no, what uh, uh, a good portion, uh, if you're not talking about greenfield development, uh, a good portion of, uh, of, of what we can reasonably do uh, for parks and open space uh, in mature areas, uh, it's opportunity based. Uh, sometimes you can go in and and uh, do something uh, uh, bigger and more sort of forceful in a way, uh, but typically uh, uh, parks and open space does not have the biggest budget, and we cannot throw money around uh, as we will. And so these uh, these little spaces that that is the like uh, the ones that were created through a project like the LRT. Uh, uh, end up being uh, uh, these potential uh, spots that uh, that weren't there before, that are new opportunities in in a place where uh, things are pretty 
set and cut and dry all the lotting, all the development before. So they offer opportunities and we're always on the lookout for opportunities. Uh, but uh, was that, uh, is that the, the, the only way uh, of, of doing things? No. Uh, a block south, we, we acquired another uh, chunk of land that has not been developed on 107th Avenue uh, that uh, is going to be developed at a certain point and is, is, uh, is uh, somewhat tied to the business community in that because 107th, it's uh, uh, the, the business area. Uh, and that was uh, more planned. Uh, it, nothing is there now, uh, but there's a potential for something to be there. And so let's uh, get the land while we can and set things up so that uh, in the future it, it can become something. So there's, there's the, the two sides of it. And both are very, very important. And both can be small and both can be larger. But in the inner city, uh, chances are they're small. Um, it's interesting you say like supporting what a community is already doing. Have you read this book, Mini Parks for Edmonton? I have not. This was a study um, commissioned by the Edmonton Social Planning Council. Um, Leslie Bella was the design consultant and editor, um, funded by the Alberta Environment Research Trust, 1975. Um, that it. it one of the principles of what they think Edmonton should be like in the future is that there should be a lot more mini parks and partly that they should be things driven by the city uh, or by, sorry by communities um, they have like a whole like model of what a mini parks workshop could look like and how successful their workshops were and how like community residents when they're given the tools are totally capable of coming up with practical ideas um, and implementable ideas is that um, is that your experience? Is that how many parks development um, has ended up taking place in 2022? Uh, I would say uh, uh, we are actually, to a certain extent, um, uh, having to rebalance uh, how much is uh, community driven and how much is uh, that the city takes uh, a more direct role. Uh, because what we found is that uh, in certain neighborhoods, uh, the residential community is far more cohesive and far more capable uh, to get grants to, uh, to uh, uh, lead public engagement to do a variety of things. And uh, in, in other neighborhoods, there's, uh, there is more splintering of, of community. There's, uh, uh, sometimes that's just a, a split between between uh, the, the short-term rental versus ownership and, and that sort of thing. Uh, if you are in a, in, in a neighborhood for uh, decades, then uh, you get uh, typically more involved and, and uh, in other places you don't necessarily. And there's a variety of other reasons for, for uh, some disparities in, in capacity. Uh, so if we look at, uh, at uh, parks and, and park development from an equity lens, uh, then uh, uh, we do have to recognize that uh, not all uh, not all uh, development can be uh, reasonably community driven in a in a major way and uh, so we do have to have for smaller parks or what have you a certain level of service a certain level of development uh, everywhere regardless of that uh, that ability to come together as a community that makes sense to an extent. I get what he's saying about capacity that different neighborhoods have. I I still think it's a good goal to have people involved in building the community they live in. No, yeah, totally. Yeah, when when he was talking about that, um, <clears throat> I was thinking about when I lived downtown years ago. Uh, I really missed having green space. And it's one of the reasons I decided to move to the south side. Downtown, there was a lot of open space. There were plazas, Churchill Square. It wasn't green though, especially nine months of the year. Everyone told me to go to the River Valley, which is, as we all know, the largest ribbon of green in North American cities, you know? It's a really big park. We've got big parks, but we don't have a lot of little parks. And effectively what I was missing was, I think like having a backyard, a little patch of grass to hang out in once in a while. And 
I wouldn't mind having a patch of grass that's a shared park instead of my own personal yard if we just had more of those parks. I, you know, it, it's it, it's funny you say that. I hear Mac Mail talking about that on Speaking Municipally. He lives downtown and he feels the same way. Oh, that's great. He's very influential. Maybe this will get some traction. <laughs> and it's a good thing because, uh, you know, Trent was talking about how parks will fit into the city's future. And he talked about the city's city plan, which is planning to double our population. And a lot of that growth is going to have to happen within the already dense downtown and Strathcona areas. That means there's going to be fewer people with yards, and there'll be even more people sharing increasingly crowded parks. Uh, as more people, as, as neighborhoods densify and, and what have you, uh, there's only so much land, and uh, in the, uh, but in the inner city uh, and in the, the mature area where we'd like to see more growth, uh, that is limited. And it's getting more limited because of climate change and uh, with having to retrofit uh, parks for dry ponds and things like that, we are having to deal with uh, more severe uh, flood events and uh, a bunch of other things are going on that that are uh, putting stresses on on, on certain uh, uh, spaces, uh, which goes back to the multifunctionality of it. Uh, uh, because uh, a dry pond doesn't mean that the park isn't there; it just means that you have to think creatively about how do you how do you have a, a park that can also serve for a, a, a an event. And so, for the land that we have and the, for the land that we're going to get, uh, we need to use it smarter and uh, more multifunctional. And so, for instance, uh, with the downtown, uh, with the Warehouse Campus Park, that space, uh, with all the towers that are going to be built around it, or are starting to be built around it, it's still not a lot of space. So how do we use it in, in a way that's smart and, and uh, is accessible and can uh, cl uh, check off a lot of the things on, on your list? It, was, uh, it, it needs to work for people. It needs to have benches. It needs to have some recreation components. It needs to have a place to breathe and have trees and, and, and all these things. So how do you do that, with, uh, that in, in a way that uh, works across uh, uh, an increasingly diverse population? Uh, when you have less and less of it. But we still need more. So it isn't all just uh, uh, using what we have better. That's part of it, and we, that has to be central to it, but that doesn't mean that uh, we shouldn't uh, be acquiring more, particularly when there's opportunities, which if we keep uh, building LRT lines, then there probably will be. Uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with the warehouse park thing, this is the new park being built on what is currently a bunch of surface parking lots just north of Dones and on the Jasper Ave area in like 107th Street, right? Yes. Cool. So there are challenges ahead. Yeah, challenges. But I think I'm hearing that there's also a bright future for many parks in Edmonton. With luck, the post office clock tower park might not be our smallest park forever. Yeah, and I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our quest to find Edmonton's smallest park. After our visit with Trent, we asked Shelley what she thought about it all. Pretty satisfied, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I like there being a confident uh, sort of sure thing response. Um, yeah, no, this feels like feels like a slam dunk. Um, definite, definitely the smallest. And I am I, I it also feels very satisfying that it uh, matches my um, original suspicion that it was going to be some weird space as a result of the landscape downtown moving and changing. Mm. Um, so that, I don't know, feels very vindicating for me and my planning-related instincts. I don't know. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Are you satisfied with the post office clock tower park being the smallest park? There's a Calvin and Hobbes comic where uh, Calvin's mom is shouting for him to like get in the bath and he says, I'm already in the bath. And then it cuts to him like sitting in the completely dry bath. And he says he likes to follow the letter of the law, if not the spirit. Mm. I feel like that's the answer we found in this episode. <laughs> um, right. It is technically designated parkland. <laughs> yeah. But the park experience, I I don't think was that great. Uh, so we talked about Nutter's Corner. It's smaller. 
and in some ways it does feel like more of a park, even though it's not officially in the park inventory because there's a place to sit and like play chess. Uh, Trent mentioned the city's open space strategy, breathe a few times. So the city is considering different kinds of space within how it looks at how people experience the city and the open space that they need. Not all of it needs to be capital P parks or named places. There are other kinds of important parkland and open space throughout the city, but I don't know. This answer seemed a little technically to me, you know, Jeffrey, what have you? Well, I do have a personal connection to that park, which I now know is a park. Um, I walked through it hundreds of times, <clears throat> going from my old place to the Stanley Milner Library uh, over years and years. And I never would have guessed it was notable, but I do think now that it deserves some more love. Um, it's right downtown in what should be a real pedestrian zone, like a really thriving pedestrian zone. If we can help put some attention on that street corner, then you know, down the road, maybe it's more of a proper refuge and a celebration of our history, not just you know, a cast off part of the car network. And at that point, I'll be more than happy to visit Edmonton's smallest park once again. Well, thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is produced by Chris Cheng and Phillips and me, Trevor Chow Fraser. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, where you might be able to find some bonus content from this episode. And we're on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who signed up on Patreon already. It's so cool. Uh, We really appreciate people financially supporting the podcast. You're helping make this work possible, and it means a lot. So special shout out to Patreon supporter Rocky Ferro, who signed up at the Ghost Magpie level. Thanks also to Shelly Jodwin-Schwinau and Trent Portugal. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast by the splendiloquently lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming.